This is Cashflow Ninja, episode 104, with Mark Ferguson. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Now, here is your host, MC Laubscher. Hello everyone, MC Lobsher here and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today and in today's show, we're going to learn how to buy REO and HUD properties. My guest today is an expert in this area and is going to share his knowledge regarding these topics with us. My guest today is Mark Ferguson. Mark Ferguson is a realtor, real estate investor, author and creator of Invest for More. Mark's real estate team sells hundreds of homes a year. He has flipped over 100 houses, owns 16 rental properties, and has written five books. Investformore.com is a real estate blog with over 300,000 views a month and over 20,000 subscribers and a wealth of free information and education. Mark Ferguson's purpose is to help as many people as he can to become financially free through real estate. Please share your feedback and thoughts with me on today's interview. You can let me know your thoughts by tweeting me on Twitter at MCLobsher or by emailing me at info at CashflowNinja.com. And please remember to join our mailing list by signing up at CashflowNinja.com or texting CashflowNinja, one word, all capitalized, to 44222. That's two fours and three twos. Today's show is brought to you by Joint Ops Properties and International Coffee Farms. Have you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Are you interested in real estate investing and don't know where to start and how to get the results you want? For more valuable information to get you started, visit Joint Ops Properties at jointopsproperties.com. International Coffee Farms provides an opportunity where you can own a parcel of your very own cash-flowing specialty coffee farm in Panama. Sustainable income through offshore sustainable agriculture. For more information on this ownership opportunity, please visit internationalcoffeefarms.com. Listeners of the Cashflow Ninja can grab a free audiobook download from Audible. When you try Audible for 30 days, you can grab your free audiobook download at CashflowNinjaBook.com. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. I'm gr- glad to be on it. Happy to, to talk about cash flow, investing, and, and real estate. Yeah, can you please share a little bit about your background and your journey as an entrepreneur and real estate investor? And how you got started in the real estate business? Um, yeah, so I, I grew up in a real estate family. My dad became an agent in 1978, um, right before I was born. So my whole life, I grew up in his office, sleeping under his desk, and you know, going through high school, I wanted nothing to do with it. <laughs> I was exposed to it. I, you know, he made decent money. I just wanted to do something on my own. Went to college, got a degree in business finance. Couldn't find a really good job. So I'm like, I'll just work part-time with my dad until I figure out what I want to do. And so I kind of got sucked into the real estate industry by accident. Once I got into it, I really loved it. 
Um, I ended up getting my real estate license. He flipped houses once in a while, so I helped him with the flipping business. And then kind of my career progressed as an REO and HUD agent. I started buying rental properties, bought out the business from him, and now I flip. I have rentals, um, still an agent, have a team. And yeah, things kind of just happened <laughs> in a weird way. Now, was uh, when you first started out, um, did you just jump into the flipping side or was it a buy and hold property that uh, that got your toes uh, in the water as, a, as an investor or as a real estate uh, business uh, flipper? Um, it was a, a straight flip. So my dad had flipped maybe one or two houses a year before I started working with him. And so that was the part of the business I really liked was the flipping. And we went into it knowing we're going to you know, buy it, fix it up and resell it. Um, it was really fun for me to see the transformation, to find houses, to find deals. The agent side, I wasn't as excited about because I'm not a super outgoing person. I don't like making a ton of calls. I did okay. But um, that's why I really liked Ario, which we'll get into later. But um, yeah, the, it was straight flipping. And then I actually didn't get into rentals until later on when I was making decent money and I was trying to find a really good way to invest that money. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now let's jump into the REO. This might be something that my listeners are not familiar with at all. And, uh, the HUD, uh, properties. Um, can you explain what they are? Um, uh, who, where you would get these properties, uh, to sell, um, and how investors can get access to these properties. Yeah. So yeah, I always say REO, like everybody knows what it means, but it's not a familiar term for everyone. Basically, REO stands for real estate owned, and that is what banks call their foreclosure properties. So they're properties that have gone through the foreclosure process and the bank now owns them. So most banks, you know, they don't want to hold properties, they will sell them and they'll use real estate agents to sell most of their properties. And that's how I, you know, really found my success as an agent was listing those properties for banks. And HUD homes um, are government-owned properties. So they're banks that went through the foreclosure, or properties that went through the foreclosure process as well, but they had FHA loans on them, which means the government insured those loans, and some of those properties will go back to the government, and the government sells them. They also use you know real estate agents to list those HUD homes and sell them. Very interesting. Now, for the listeners that might not be aware, in the United States, can you give uh, more or less a guess of uh, the percentage of 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 mortgages actually that the government uh, has? Because they're a very very big player in the mortgage market. Yes, it changes greatly. I don't have exact numbers, but you know, before the housing crisis in two thousand, you know, five to two thousand eight. There were very few FHA loans because there were a lot of private banks lending, a lot of private mortgage insurance that allowed low down payments. And during the housing crisis, a lot of those banks went under, (laughs) got bailed out. Um, And so then after the housing crisis, FHA has really become a bigger player again. And I would estimate, oh, probably 25 probably had that 30 to 50% of low down payment loans are FHA in the last five years. So, I mean, there's a lot of properties that are backed by the government. Um, you know, as a total percentage, 10 to 20%, I'm guessing, are, are government-backed loans. Yeah, there's a, they're a very, very, very big player, obviously, in the, 
in the mortgage market. Um, now, as a, a listing these properties, um, you know, is that a relationship? How you got access to the the banks, or is that uh, a process where you basically your firm or your dad's firm at that stage? was able to acquire the listings. Um, how were you able to get uh, these REO and HUD listings? Um, it was very relationship-based and a lot of hard work. My dad never listed REOs or HUD homes. Um, okay. It was something where I kind of found my own niche, and I, was, I wasn't doing well as a traditional agent. I sold some houses, but it wasn't what I loved to do. And when I found out about REOs and foreclosures and doing BPOs, which are their broker price opinions, where you perform a valuation for a bank, tell them what it's worth, and the bank will actually pay you to do that. Um, right. I, I loved it because it was all email. It was system-based. It was task-based. Um, I could do everything through email almost. So I just started cold calling banks and asking them how I list these properties. Um, a couple of banks told me where to go, how to sign up. I signed up for some sites. Um, started getting some BPOs. Eventually those BPOs turned into actual listings. And then I just went full bore into it. I started calling, applying everywhere I could. I joined REO organizations in the across the country. And um, I think I went from, I sold 10 houses in one year to two years later, I sold 50. The next year I sold over a hundred. And at one point I sold over 200 homes in one year, um, basically on my own, just from HUD and REO. Well, that's a very valuable lesson right there to find that that space and that niche and uh, and, and like you just dominate it and uh, take it over. So no, the, the, that's fantastic. Now, for a, a investor out there, I mean, how do what? Um, I guess my question is, how does an investor get hold of these properties? Are they listed on the bank's website? You obviously list them. Um, uh, talk a little bit about that process. Yeah, no, that's a great question because I get a lot of questions as well from investors who are like, hey, how do I find these properties before they're listed so I can get a great deal? And unfortunately, 95% of the time, you can't. You have to wait until they're listed with a real estate agent, until they go on the MLS system. Um, the banks have put a lot of processes in place to try and eliminate um, what we call pocket listings or not having properties marketed well. So they'll even make properties be listed for 10 days before they'll look at offers. A lot of banks have owner-occupant periods now where the property has to be on the market 10 days for only owner-occupants before investors can bid. So if you're trying to buy a house before it's listed, you're going to be out of luck unless it's a local bank. You know, If it's a local bank that just serves your county, maybe your state, they might do it. But if you're trying to get one from Chase, from U.S. Bank, from Wells Fargo, you're just going to waste your time trying to buy those beforehand. Um, some of those banks will sell their properties before they're listed, but they're being sold in giant pools of thousands of properties um, where maybe hedge funds or big institutional buyers are paying you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for these pools. And that's basically the only way they're selling them. Even HUD has sold some of those pools as well. But for an investor trying to buy an REO, um, you pretty much have to wait for it to be listed, come on the market, and and follow their rules about when investors can make an offer on them. Gotcha. Yeah, isn't it amazing that uh, that Wall Street and these hedge funds basically? I mean, they basically bought the bought up the American dream after the loss crash. 
Yes, there are a number of giant hedge funds who own thousands of properties in the country right now. And, uh, you know, you probably know there's a lot of skepticism and, you know, questions about if they could do it. And they seem to be working out okay with them. So it's I think it's going to be a continued practice where we have these giant funds owning a lot of houses in the country. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. Um, now, from a from an investor's uh, point of view, if there if there's listeners out there um, that are interested in finding this in the state that they're in or the areas that they're in, what advice would you give to someone um, where to go and find them to approach a real estate office, or where would they be able to find some of these REOs and HUD properties? Yeah, I mean, so. Almost all the REOs will be required to be listed on the MLS, like I said. Yeah. Every real estate agent will have access to MLS. HUD homes also have to be on the MLS, but you can also find them on HUDHomeStore.com. And HUD Home Store lists every active HUD home there is for sale. If it's under contract or not for sale yet, it won't be on there, but if you can bid on it, it'll be there. But you still have to have an agent to bid on any HUD home. You can't bid just as an investor. So my advice is to find a really good agent in your area, um, hopefully one that knows a little bit about investing, but one that has time too. You know, has time to show you houses, has time to write offers, isn't super busy. Because as investors, acting quick is very important. And HUD has a kind of a weird system for bidding, so make sure your agent knows about HUD and their bidding process as well. It's a little complicated, but once you learn it, it's super easy. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And as far as this, obviously, speed is is just going to be key here. Is there, and I'm assuming this is pretty competitive once they become public, especially the more desirable ones, right? Um, but what are some of the advice that you can give folks? Is there a certain uh, percentage of the, the listed price that is usually uh, pretty negotiable or in the sweet spot? So say, for instance, if you're bidding 85% of the price that's listed or 80, I'm just throwing out a random number. Uh, is that kind of an area that they're looking, uh, that they will accept it? Or what What in your experiences have you found um has worked for you? Um, it is completely different across the board. So it doesn't answer your question very well, but I'll get into yeah. it here. Um, every bank in HUD has a little different system for how they accept offers and percentages they'll take. And the other tricky thing is it varies across the country. So HUD in Colorado, where our market is just crazy, you know, our prices have more than doubled in the last four years. Um, they'll pretty much accept about 10% less than their um, asking price, unless it's an age listing. And I'll get into that too. But in other parts of the country, they might accept 20 or 30% less if the market isn't as strong. So it really depends on your market. If you're in a strong market, you're probably going to have to offer closer to list price, sometimes maybe even over list price, you know, if there's competing offers. If you're in a market with more foreclosures, a little slower, then you can usually offer a lot less, get those properties at a discount. And with HUD and the REO properties, the longer they're on the market, the more they will negotiate. So the secret kind of um, timeline for HUD is usually 60 days. So when I was a, I still am a HUD listing broker, but I have very few HUD right now. But my um, asset manager who 
manages the HUD properties, assigns them to me. If there were properties over 60 days on the market, they'd send an email out to everybody saying, hey, these are our aged assets, work really hard to market them, and those are the properties they would take lower offers on. If they got over 90 days on the market, they'd push those even harder and take even less on those. So, I mean, if a property is over 90 days with HUD, they might take 50% of the list price. It's rare, but it's possible. And right. it's kind of the same way with REOs. The longer they're on the market, um, the less they'll accept. So I bought a house you know, for 130000 this year that was listed for 160, which isn't a huge discount, but in my market it is because 90% of houses are selling at list price. Um, probably 50% are selling above list price. It's crazy. So to get that discount was really um, huge. And then, you know, buyer beware, you know, you need experience, but I remove my inspection contingencies. I remove my financing contingencies when I make offers. And that, that gives me a big advantage as well. Right, right. And again, as you said, uh, for listeners out there, you know, <laughs> Mark is a professional. So through his experience and walking and bringing members of his team on there, um, they can take a look and a peek for him and giving him an opinion. So this isn't just some something that a you know a weekend warrior can step into and uh, <laughs> pull pull away to get the the same desired results. Right, and there are definitely ways. You know, investors doing it part time can get really good deals, but it's about patience. You know, really learning your market. I always tell you know the first thing to knowing what a good deal is, or to getting a good deal is knowing what a good deal is. So. Learn your market like nobody else, and that that's a huge advantage. As as an agent with with these listings, you you were obviously able to to purchase some of these yourself, or no, okay. not um, a lot of people think that, and it is a huge no no. In fact, we are barred from buying our own listings. It's a, a conflict of interest. Yep. Um, there is one agent I know of who kind of had his girlfriend's father buying houses from him as an REO agent and the banks found out about it and they fired him that bank and every other bank he worked with found out about it as well because it's a pretty tight-knit community and he got fired from about 16 different companies and um huge no-no hud strictly prohibits me my family or anybody in my office from buying a hud home it doesn't matter who has it listed um, so if I if they find out I buy a HUD home, I would be fired immediately. My entire office would lose the ability to ever sell a HUD home, um, and I could even be uh, prosecuted as a felony. So it's a huge no-no. International Coffee Farms is a real estate-based specialty coffee farm ownership opportunity. You can own deeded half-acre parcels in title, already operating specialty coffee farms in Boguete, Panama. They are turnkey managed and professionally on your behalf by a team of local experts with a sustainable average annual income of 12% and with cash flow beginning within 12 to 15 months from the date of your parcel ownership. International Coffee Farms mission is to own and operate specialty coffee farms in Boguete, Panama that are economically, environmentally and socially sustainable. As part of this mission, 20% of the gross profits of each farm goes towards a socially sustainable fund to improve the lives of the coffee farm workers and their families. International Coffee Farms currently owns and operates eight specialty coffee farms in Boguete, Panama, with parcels available for immediate ownership. 
To find out how you can become a parcel owner, please visit their website at internationalcoffeefarms.com or give them a call at 877-208-7988. So that obviously you work, you love uh, in, uh, investors and you know which investors like which deals. So if you come across them, you have your pool of investors that would uh, be very, very interested in these properties once they become listed. Yes, exactly. Yep. And, um, you know, I still do buy some REOs myself, but I never have them listed. And then some of the companies I work with, like HUD, um, I believe Bank of America, they don't want me buying any REOs anybody has listed either. So I have to be real careful what I buy. But yes, I have a lot of investors um, who I can send those deals to when I can't buy them myself. Right. Now, let's talk about your business for a little bit. So obviously, you're involved in some flips and there's buy and holds investment properties too. Um, obviously, and, and you're an agent, so you, you're in the business. What are some of your best avenues and, and channels for uh, uh, sourcing some of the properties that you would flip in your real estate uh, flipping business and then also um, for your buy and hold investment side? Yes. Yeah, so um, right now I've got 14 rentals. I had 16. I actually sold a couple this summer because our market's so crazy. I sold a couple I didn't like as much. And I have 16 flips going at the moment. And we talked about this earlier. It's not easy to flip, not like it is on TV. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, but finding those deals, 90% of them I get from MLS on the market. So that surprises some people. You know, There's direct marketing, there's auctions, there's a lot of different ways to buy deals. But I've had my best success buying from the MLS. Being an agent gives me a huge advantage. I can see a house come up for sale, you know, right away because I check the MLS probably four or five times a day for new listings. If I see one that looks good, I'll drive out to see it, you know, in 10 or 15 minutes. Um, If I like it, once I see it, I can text my assistant. He can write up an offer for me, send it to my email, and I can have an offer submitted in, you know, an hour or two after the home was listed. Um, gives me a huge advantage. Like I said, I'll remove my inspection, my financing contingencies. And I've built a reputation where if I make an offer, if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. I don't back out of deals. I don't try and negotiate on inspection items or beat the seller up. So I will actually have agents coming to me with deals saying, hey, I've got a tough house to sell or the seller needs to get rid of this fast. Where they know I'm going to do what I'm going to say. I'm not going to play games. And that's really helped me get a lot of deals. The last house I bought was um, Tuesday that I got for 85000 It's probably worth 175. needs 20000 in work. And an agent in my office brought it to me and said, hey, you know, I know you're going to close on this. I have a seller who wants to get rid of it fast. They're a landlord. They have tenants in there. Do you want to buy it? I'm like, sure, let's do it. So uh, <laughs> um, I've also bought from the foreclosure sale a few times in auctions as well. But yeah, MLS is my main way to source deals. Interesting. The real estate is very local. Um, but if you just take a take a peek at the at the big picture uh, in the United States, what are some of your views uh, on the market currently? It's a weird market. So I know a lot of people, a lot of investors are kind of saying, oh, we're going we're gonna to head for another crash, another housing market explosion because prices have gone up so high. I don't really feel that same way. I think the last housing crisis was caused by too much demand. 
which was fueled by loose lending guidelines, crazy lending guidelines, you know, 120% lines of credit, and anybody who, you know, had a pulse could get a loan. And that caused a giant housing boom because banks were lending to builders, you know, as much as they wanted. We could build like crazy. Where this market, especially where I'm at, and I've talked to many other investors, is fueled more by low supply. So they're not building here. Even though we have one of the hottest markets in the country, they're building very little in Colorado because regulations are tougher, the fees are more, water's more expensive, land's more expensive, and banks aren't lending to builders like they were before. So I'm seeing building starts, you know, high-end properties because builders can only build a few houses. They want to make big margins. Whereas before, they're building, you know, hundreds of lower-end homes, making smaller more margins, but making up for it in quantity. And because of that, we have the lowest supply we've had ever in Colorado right now. And I read an article that said Denver needs 67,000 new houses to meet demand. And all they're doing is building high-end homes and apartment buildings, not meeting single-family demand. So... um I don't think we're headed for a crash. I think the biggest issue is going to be affordability. And if prices keep going up, I don't think there's enough people that can afford the home. So I think we may level out a little bit because of that, but I don't think there's going to be a crash. And really, I think we need to have more building to kind of have a healthy housing market again. Yeah, affordability is definitely a big uh, a big issue, especially with uh, incomes kind of staying flat, and uh, yeah, just uh, prices everywhere in, in a lot of the major cities. Um, here, not too far from me, obviously, is New York City and in Philadelphia. A lot of those prices um, ha- has gone up significantly. Yes, and interest rates, you know, they're really low right now, which makes it more affordable. But if those change, you know, that could really throw a wrench into things. It's it's hard to say what's going to happen, but um, yeah, I, I, one thought I had was if these giant hedge funds were to become house builders, that might be a good business for them to get into, but I don't know if they want to do that. <laughs> right, right. I don't know if they want to build anything. They just want to pick them up. Yep. <laughs> now, uh, as an entrepreneur and investor, you know, we we all face adversity and it's not just always rainbows and unicorns. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned and some of the best advice that you've gotten on your journey? Yes. So the biggest mistake I ever made was about nine or 10 years ago. And I was working with my dad. We were flipping houses. I was an agent. And I decided to save money. I was going to do all the work myself on a flip. So I picked out a house in a smaller town here. It was like built in 1920. And I replaced the windows, the kitchen, the doors, the flooring, painted it, um, outside work, I did all of it myself, and it was the stupidest thing I ever did because it took me three times as long as it would have taken a professional. I didn't do the work as well as a professional would have done, but the biggest thing it cost me was opportunity. Um, I was working on that house nonstop, and I wasn't selling any houses as an agent. I wasn't finding any more deals, and I had the worst year of my career because of that house, and I learned a really big lesson, you know, never to do that again. I learned a lot about construction and and fixing a house up. But I also, you know, really learned how valuable my time was and that I should be spending my time on the most productive things I can, not trying to save 
a buck here or there doing manual labor or, or doing tasks that other people could easily do. That's a very, very valuable lesson. Tasks that anybody else can easily do, I mean, and focus on uh, on your rainmaking ability, right? Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, I, I love the thought of, you know, if you can put a dollar amount on what your time is worth, you know, if you're worth $50 an hour, but you can hire someone to do tasks for $20 an hour, hire that person to do those tasks, you focus on the $50 an hour tasks or $200 an hour tasks, whatever it is, and then you'll be so much happier and do so much better in business. And that's another thing too, is if there's something I don't like doing, I will outsource that in a second to keep myself sane and happy. (laughs) (laughs) Now, um, one habit I've observed from very wealthy and successful people is that they're always studying new subjects and learning new skills. Uh, What are you currently studying? What skill sets are you currently learning? Um, No, that's a great question. So my whole career, I've been mostly in the residential real estate business. Um, This last year, I stopped buying rental properties in Colorado because our prices got so high. The rents didn't increase as much as prices, so it just didn't make sense to me to buy more rentals. But I still have a goal to buy 100 rental properties by January 2023, so... I had a kind of conflict there. Um, So what I started doing was looking at commercial in my area. Um, I looked at buying out-of-state rentals in Florida, but that's a lot of work and really tough to do. Um, So I've started looking at commercial buildings, industrial buildings, learning about leases, about cap rates, about, you know, what tenants are looking for. It's really been an eye-opener and fun to learn that side of the business. So um, yeah, I mean, this last week, I went and looked at a 17,000 square foot building. I looked at 120,000 square foot building a couple months ago. So um, that's been my my latest project. Very, very interesting. A core message in our show is to leave our families and communities and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset and values and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Um, number one is focus. I, I have a lot going on with my rentals, my flips. I have a blog that talks about everything. I have um, my real estate team. And I see a lot of people say, oh, I want to do what you do. I'm going to jump in and do all of it at once. But I built each of my businesses individually, kind of one at a time. And I think when even right now, I'll get scatterbrained and try and do too many things at once. And I start to kind of, you know, get overwhelmed a little bit. So I think it's much better to focus on one or two things that you do really awesome and really well, instead of trying to do 10 things sort of okay. Um, You know, if someone's looking for someone to help them in their business, or they want to buy a product, they don't care if you have 20 other products that they don't want. They just want one product that you do really well. So focus on doing things really well. Don't get too scatterbrained. Um, Another concept would be make sure you give yourself free time and time to think about building your business, not just working in it. It's really easy as an entrepreneur um, to get stuck inside your business doing all the work, to think about your business 24-7, never take any time off. Some of my best ideas have been when I was on vacation or I went to a conference where I just got away from my business. I wasn't thinking about it. Um, it just kind of cleared my head, and I saw some like really simple things that were super easy that I should have noticed you know, a long time ago, 
but I was so engrossed in my business that I wasn't paying attention to them or I was stuck on other tasks. So make sure you give yourself time to get away, you know, time with your family where you're not thinking about your business, where you can just relax. And that's where our best ideas sometimes come from. And then finally, um, you know, cash flow is huge. You know, if you can build cash flow coming in from assets, whether it's rentals, you know, dividends, notes, whatever it is, where you're not actively working for your all your income, it makes life so much easier. You can relax about different things, um, gives you freedom to do different jobs, to take vacations. It's just a wonderful thing when you build that kind of passive cash flow. It gives you a lot of freedom in your life. Yeah, no, that's... I. Couldn't agree with you more. That's what we're all about on this podcast. And the other point that you made was really powerful too, because I found the same thing. The minute I I switch off, and sometimes I run 150 miles an hour, um, but once you just switch off and unplug yourself from your business um, and uh, just take some time off, that's when some really good ideas come to you. Yeah, it's amazing. Like I, I won't be thinking about my business at all. I'll be sitting on a beach somewhere, and I'll be like. Oh, why am I not doing that? <laughs> like, and I, I always make sure I have a notebook or you know something with me where I can write those down because that's another thing too is you get a lot of good ideas that you'll forget about in thirty seconds or a minute, and you think you'll remember them, but if you've got something to write them down on, always write down your ideas right away because they can you can lose them pretty fast. I agree with you so much. That's why I've Evernote on my smartphone. Yeah, because it's just, yeah. Otherwise, it's gone. Um, Mark, are there any books that you would recommend to my audience? Um, you know, if you're interested in real estate investing, agent, um, I have to give myself a little bit of self promotion. My blog, investformore.com, has a ton of information. I've got some free books on there, and um, a couple Amazon paperbacks I've written as well. Um, Build a Rental Property Empire has been in the top 10 real estate books on Amazon for a while. So I'm really proud of that. Otherwise, um, Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller, really awesome book, really good book. If you want to be an agent, he's also got Millionaire Real Estate Agent, which is a really good book. Um, There's all types of websites and resources for investing. I do want to say there's a lot of programs out there to try and lure investors into a coaching session that can be tens of thousands of dollars. Be careful. You don't really need to join those programs to be successful. And when they offer a free seminar and free lunch, it's usually not free. So (laughs) watch out for those. Yeah, there's nothing, (laughs) nothing, nothing is free. Nothing is free. (laughs) Um, So how can my audience learn more about you and your company and your podcast and just keep informed of all of the projects that you're involved with? Um, yeah, investformore.com is the best place to find me. It's invest, um, F-O-U-R, and then M-O-R-E.com. I've got about 450 free articles on investing, being an agent, you know, money. And then I've got some free eBooks, of course. I do a weekly podcast on real estate, um, have a lot of really cool guests on there and talk about my own investing as well. I try to be an open book and talk about everything I'm doing uh, no secrets, you know, no special formulas that I keep. <laughs> um, that's the best spot. And you can always email me at mark at investformore.com as well. I answer all my emails myself and uh, I love hearing from people. Fantastic. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing, sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value to my listeners. 
I had a, I had a fantastic experience. Oh, thank you. I loved being on it. Um, really uh, had a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate everything you do as well. Thank you for joining me and my guest, Mark Ferguson, on the Cashflow Ninja podcast today. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. I really have been humbled by your support and feedback, guys. If there's any way that I could provide more value to you and serve you better, please reach out to me at info at cashflowninja.com. Today's show was brought to you by International Coffee Farms and Joint Ops Properties. Coffee is a proven product and a $90 billion industry worldwide. Through International Coffee Farms, you now have a chance to own your own half-acre parcels in a specialty coffee farm in Panama. Professionally turnkey managed for you. You can visit their website at internationalcoffeefarms.com to download your free 16-page coffee farm ownership opportunity report. The website again is internationalcoffeefarms.com. Jimmy Freeland and Bob Scott have been in your shoes and have used real estate investing to become financially free. They have designed a system to take any beginner to an experienced deal-making investor in the least amount of time. They offer opportunities from basic education, coaching, bridge investing, to turnkey investments in the cash-flowing market of St. Louis, Missouri. For more information, please visit joinopsproperties.com or call Jimmy and Bob at 314-799-2247. That's our show for today, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. You have been listening to the Cashflow Ninja with your host, MC Laubscher, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Today's show notes and resources are available on our website, CashflowNinja.com. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objective, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness. 